I think that's one of the touchstones, isn't it, of, of our spiritual walk. Does it shake us? Does it trouble us? When the witness and the message of Jesus Christ is not being declared clearly, significantly, prominently. Does that bother us? It bothered Nehemiah. He is where he is. He's in Susa, present-day Iran. He's in this prominent place, but back there bothered him. Because back there, the place that he sees as the safe place of the people of God is open for all to raid. That's the problem with broken down walls in the ancient world, isn't it? The ancient world, we all know about it. Travel up to York. Travel over to Chester. These older cities, what we see is walled cities. You know, Lord of the Rings. All of these great kind of pictures of security and safety comes from a walled city. A city which it's safe to live in because the walls are intact. And when the walls are broken down, it's not safe to be there. In other words, Nehemiah is connecting these things and he's saying, the message of the proclamation of the God of heaven who we worship is not safe and secured because God's people are not safely living in the place of safety. And he's bothered about that. And so we see that he's troubled, he's distressed. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. One of the things that I found really interesting is looking at the issue uh, of the, the presentation of heroes of old. One of the things that we don't see heroes of old doing is weeping. And yet here we see Nehemiah, he is weeping, he is broken, he, is more, he mourns, he fasts, and then he prays. If we have got one foundation that we're going to build the whole of the rest of the story of Nehemiah on, it's this. That everything that goes on from here on in rests on this prayer. Because everything from here on in is the declaration of what Nehemiah says God is doing because he acknowledges right at the very beginning that nothing can be done unless God does it. I think that's relevant for us today as we look at the next journey for this church. Whatever happens, whatever goes on, whatever the progress, nothing happens because of the strength of human uh, ability. It's based on the willingness of God and the, the work of God and the hand of God. And that's where Nehemiah places the great reliance in this prayer. He says three things. Firstly, he says, the light, in the light of who you are, we are not worthy. That's the first phrase that he says doesn't say it, but if we take the first few verses, that's basically what he says. In the light of who you are, we are not worthy. The way he says it, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, 
who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. That's who you are, and then this is who we are. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my family's father's family, have committed against you. That is so non-21st century, isn't it? That's just so non-21st century. We live with a mindset which is all about the only, the only kind of responsibility that I have is me. That's how we live. And yet Nehemiah introduces this idea which we will be building on over the next period of time that when we belong to God, we belong to each other as well. And when we belong to each other, the way we behave and the way we live and the way we respond in the world in which we live has implications which is not individual, it is corporate. We are committed together. We are the people of God together. And here Nehemiah says, I am honest about our failings. I'm not kind of saying, right, because of our commitment to each other, we've got to all be perfect. What I'm saying is looking at Nehemiah, he's saying, by being all together, I'm being honest about who we truly are. To move forward... In gospel work, to move forward in Christian witness, the starting point is a realistic assessment that we have nothing, that we have no value in our own terms, and yet we have incredible value in terms of the eye of God upon us. That's the great news, isn't it? We bring nothing, and yet we are everything. That's the message that Nehemiah is saying. I recognize that my guilt sits with the guilt of my father's family, and we've all committed it against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. That is who we are. I think in a sense we can say, that's who I am. I can say that. Have I lived according to the laws that Jesus has laid out? No, I haven't. Do I live faithfully? No, I don't. I look at the reality of my own ambitions. I look at the reality of my own uh, motives and the inner thoughts, and I see barren brokenness. And yet it's a great starting point to say that's who we are. We are a people who is made up of of a cacophony of broken, rebellious people. So let's start there. Second point he says, remember your promises. In the light of who you are and who we are, I call upon you to remember your promises. In other words, any progress, any stepping forward is not dependent upon us, it's dependent upon your promises. It's one of the great themes that we're going to come back to as we work through Nehemiah. It's dependent upon who you are and what you have promised to do. 
Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you're faithful, I will scatter, faith, unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my people. When we are open with our confession, when we are true before the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of heaven and earth, with who we truly are, He is faithful in His promises. And the great news is He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. That's good news, isn't it? In other words, as we start to take these next steps in the life of this little family of God's people, the future is based on the promises of God, not the past of Christ church. Point three. I'm going to bring those two together, Nehemiah says. Those people, those rebellious people, they're your servants. That's who they are. Those first, first paragraph, my father and my brothers and everybody else, they're your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. That's who we are. When we're not nothing to you. <laughs> I think that's just such a powerful message that Nehemiah declares before God. He says, effectively says what we could say today, Lord Jesus, we're not nothing before you. We are your redeemed people. That's who we are. We're not nothing. We're not the scatterings. We're not the rebellious people that by nature we are. We are your redeemed people. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. In other words, he goes on to say, the things that you are doing, the things that need to be done, are in your hands. And I bring those two together and I commit it to you, and I say, Lord, will you grant favor during these next steps? However it unfolds, as the opportunities arise, as I live my day-to-day -day life as cupbearer to the king, let me be faithful to the demands and needs in Jerusalem. Isn't that a strange connection? In my faithful cupbearing, let me remember the broken down walls. So what of this kingdom and this city? Why should we care? Why should we bother about Nehemiah? Why should we bother about the rebuilding of a few walls in Jerusalem 400 years before Jesus, 500 years before Jesus? Why should we care? Because the building of the kingdom is what Jesus finally concluded and what is portrayed throughout the Old Testament. Listen to this amazing thing that he said to his people. He said this, you, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. <laughs> that would have had amazing power to those who were hearing it. What, what, what town is built on a hill? There's a word that's used there that could be town, could be city. Where would the thoughts go? What, what, what's built on a hill? 
Jerusalem is built on a hill, and Jesus changes everything because He says it's no longer about that city on a hill. That's been incredibly significant, but now it moves on because you, (laughs) you're the city. At the end of the, you know, it's kind of normal, isn't it, to talk about what is a city, Uh, you know, the urban economy and all that kind of stuff, buildings, roundabouts, streets, cars, bikes, all of that stuff. At the end of the day, cities exist because that's where people are, and Jesus says, you are the city. In other words, what was a bearer of the message of God in the whole of the Old Testament, we've reached a turning point. In the past, it's been about this pres, this physical presence. So that physical presence had better be there, but then it changes because you are the physical presence. You are the bearer of the message. That's number one. We become the city. If you're thinking about this message of the Bible, why, why do we connect the life lived in faithfulness to Jesus with forgiveness? Why do we connect those two as believers? If you're just thinking about maybe, should I commit to this, this, this Jesus? Why do we connect the two? Because in being forgiven and in being saved, we then become the displayers of that salvation. Jesus says, you are the city on a hill. You're the light. That's number one, why we should care about the whole of the story of Nehemiah. Why else should we care? What is the significance of this forgiveness and this confession? What's the significance of building the walls of a city? Because the walls had to be built. The walls in Jerusalem had to be rebuilt. Why? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12 tells us why the walls of the city had to be rebuilt. They had to be rebuilt because Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. You get that? In this picture that God is displaying, He's saying it's safe inside the city because that's where the blessing of God is, that's where the hand of God is, but now outside of the city is the outcast, the one who's thrown out. That's one of the messages that we get right the way through the camp of God's people the lamb that's sent out from the camp, Jesus outside of the city wall. Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Isn't that amazing? In other words, the the work of Nehemiah is an essential step. It's a critical step in making sure that the context is set for Jesus. If Nehemiah does not happen, the world is not ready for Jesus. And therefore, God is going to make sure that the work of Nehemiah is done. Because it's the foundation for being ready for the work of Jesus. And it is that work which finally resolves the inner problem that even imagined dragons speak about. 
when they speak about the demon inside, which is this greed, which is this self-centered rebellion, where it's all about me, where the honesty of the real reality of our issue is displayed in those lyrics of a song, it is the work of Jesus outside the city which has to be accomplished. It's all about Him. 